my friends, and welcome to this, another edition of the Underdog Football Show. Hayden, it's our instant reactions where we check out what worked on Sundays, what did not. Week four, a few weeks in the books. We're still learning some things, but also some teams are really separating themselves. And definitely the Arizona Cardinals are one of those teams. They are now 4-0. They beat potentially the best team in the NFL, what we perceive them to be, in the Los Angeles Rams, 37-20. to 20. That game just wrapped up here. And Hayden, it's all behind Kyler Murray, who's putting up records, it feels like, this season. 24-32, 268, two touchdowns, another 39 yards on the ground. What stood out to you in watching this game? This offense just complete. They have a very unique set of receivers, and the offensive line is playing very well. I think that we really need to give a lot of credit to Rodney Hudson. There's not that free blitzer coming very often like there was last year. And, he, and even when that does happen, Kyler Murray is just playing out of his mind. There was one play. It was a third and 16. There was a little bit of pressure. He escapes the pocket, outruns an edge rusher, scrambles downfield, picks up a first down. A couple plays later, James Cotter sitting at the end zone uh, for an easy goal line opportunity. So Kyler Murray is making plays not only for himself, but James Conner is getting walking touchdowns. Chase Edmonds is ripping off long plays. They're getting A.J. Green involved. Rondale Moore for a quick little screen here and there. And they're not even using DeAndre Hopkins that much. So it's a very well put together offense right now. And they're maximizing Kyler Murray's playmaking ability as a runner and as a deep ball thrower right now. Over 30 points and 400 yards of offense for the fourth time in four games for the Arizona Cardinals. Hayden, we talked about it heading into the season. We knew this team had a lot of fire firepower and, you know, 160 targets that we saw for DeAndre Hopkins last year, you know, Kenyon Drake near the red zone. They were good. And especially in the first half of the season when Keller was putting up incredible numbers, I try to sit back and ask, well, how are they so much better? This year, And I think a major part of it is what you're saying with Roddy Hudson, where fixing maybe some of the gaps where Cliff Kingsbury is not doing well. But then also, Hayden, you have Chase Edmonds, who has 12 carries for 120 yards in between the 20s. You have James Conner filling in for you know that short yardage roll inside the 10-yard line. And then you're just allowing other players to be in their perfect positions because DeAndre Hopkins on the left side. A.J. Green, who goes for 64 yards and a touchdown on the right side, including a 41-yarder to start this game, that allows you to have Rondale Moore and Christian Kirk in the slot. And while the Rams have so many pieces defensively, I, I really do feel like the, the Cardinals can beat you any way at this point. Like, they can be powerful, they can be elongated, they can be exaggerated, and they can be explosive down the field. And that's a, that's a joy to watch every single Sunday. I think the primary difference outside of Rodney Hudson and Kyler Murray is definitely taking like another step with this playmaking ability, which is crazy, but it's AJ green. I mean, he's winning in a lot of ways, contested catches downfield. It seems like whenever they're in the red zone, they flick the ball out to him in the flats and he scored a touchdown the last game. He got dragged down to like the two yard line in this game. And all of a sudden he's leading the team in like targets, air yards, red zone targets, and it's getting close to be production too. So I think that AJ green has solidified himself as an, at least upside wide receiver four in this offense for fantasy because he's not coming off the field and the Cardinals have used a little bit of 12 personnel down in the red area and that's DeAndre Hopkins and AJ Green and obviously AJ Green's getting the weaker of the um, opposing corners too so AJ Green's looked better than I would say 95% of people would have assumed. I know you focused on this game, but what stood out to me a little bit was Jalen Ramsey getting his typical usage, but sometimes on third downs, flipping outside to go on one-on-one with DeAndre Hopkins, and they had some really good competitions out there. 
Yep. Yeah. Whenever it was like a three, three by one set and it was like isolation and it was just DeAndre Hopkins out there, then they would put out Ramsey. So Ramsey played awesome. They're using him near the line of scrimmage and in the slot a little bit more. It just ultimately didn't matter because right now the ball was just going to the outside and Kyler yeah. was making plays on the outside. So it's, it's a very, very hard offense to defend and it just kind of comes down to can the Cardinals secondary hold up or is their edge rushing talent so good that they can kind of hide those flaws in the back end. So good at spreading you out, running the football. And then when they do want to be powerful, like Max Williams on these screens with all these offensive yeah. linemen in front, it's really cool. He gets stuff. going. It's so much fun to watch yeah. when they do get going. Uh, before we move on from this game, we need to talk about the Rams offense yep. here, Hayden, because what changed? 13 points in the first half. They really didn't get you know to 20 until garbage time late on. I mean, the statistics aren't too bad in terms of you know two touchdowns 200 yards for Matthew Stafford Cooper Cup didn't hit like his peak that we've seen the weeks before what stood out to you I mean Matthew Stafford just was missing wide open receivers right now like that's that's all that happened really I didn't notice anything schematically that was any different when the Rams were running the ball early it was working uh Sony Michelle fumbled and then basically did not come back in the game Daryl Henderson was the lead back and he was pretty effective there's a lot of open lanes early on but once the scoreboard got out of favor the this the cardinals were basically just playing prevent defense and the matthew staff were just picking his little spots underneath but a lot of it was just those 20 yard throws that he was hitting last week to cooper cup and like the couple weeks before that were just going incomplete so we got bailed out with a robert woods touchdown late in the game but he was still out targeted by cup 13 to 6 i can't explain the robert woods usage right now yeah but maybe this forces mcveigh to go back to the drawing board because i think right now it's so Cooper Cup heavy, and it's kind of interesting to see Higby and, and Robert Woods kind of being afterthoughts right now. It's I, I can't really explain it. It's an offense we've loved to watch every single week. This is like one of their first stumbling blocks. It sucks that it happened at home for them, but like you said, it's uh, it's one where the entire NFC West is is one they're going to have to compete a lot of. With Seattle obviously getting a win today, San Francisco being on a bit of a roll as well. And I, I think your point about Cooper cup, it can't just all flow through him. You have to have a lot of counter punches and different explosive plays. Yeah. We've seen the Cardinals turn that corner as well. Um, before we move on from this game. And by the way, Arizona coming up next has the 49ers, the Browns in their next two games, uh, especially in Cleveland. That'll be a lot of fun to watch. Uh, a lot of people who drafted chase Edmonds might be infuriated that he's not the one who's getting the touchdowns, but it's pretty clear. Hayden, his role is between the twenties and then James Connors in there is like the cleanup hitter. Yeah, I think James Conner's going to score like 11 touchdowns this year, and he could have two touchdown games like he has had in the last couple of weeks. He looks pretty good to me. I mean, he is hard to bring down. He's so much bigger than Chase Edmonds. I don't think that you can give Chase Edmonds a bigger role than what he has now. He's pretty small. Uh, and even late in the game, he came back in the game, but he injured his shoulder for a little bit, so something kind of to monitor. But the reason why I like James Conner so much is if Chase Edmonds does go down with an injury, like let's say he has a shoulder flare-up, he can be a three down back and like a three down back in this offense with this goal line opportunity, like, whew. Yep. so I think that James Connor, somebody to keep an eye on. Maybe if you can get him in like a trade offer as like a throw in piece, I think that's something that you should be doing. The Panthers were not unable to stay undefeated. They dropped to three and one and the Cowboys improved to three and one with that final score, 36 to 28, obviously Dallas winning at home. Four touchdowns from Dak Prescott, who only had to attempt 22 passes. And Hayden, it's because the Cowboys were able to rack up 245 rushing yards on the Panthers' defense. Vintage Ezekiel Elliott in this game, 20 carries, 143 yards, 
and one touchdown. Yes, Tony Pollard added 67 yards. A lot of that came in the fourth quarter. You know, a lot of times, Hayden, when people build defenses or even just talk about defenses in games, they say, oh, it's okay if they just give up rushing yardage. Uh, it's not when you can't get off the field in those scenarios. And it's not when these other teams can just, you know, sustain drives over and over and over again. And that's really what happened a lot with, with this Cowboys team. But also when they were in those third and sevens or third and nines and third and elevens, it helps to have someone like Dak Prescott who can duck a Brian Burns sack or escape out of the backfield or get all the way to his fourth progression to his tight end who, you know, was pass protecting, who, you know, trickles out in Dalton Schultz and then can pick up a first down. So having a quarterback on top of all that, what we have seen through the first four weeks with the Cowboys, they're another one of these offenses that can win in a whole bunch of different ways. Yep. And the difference between like Kyler Murray and Dak Prescott right now is Dak Prescott pre-snap is just like the playmaker that like Kyler Murray is post-snap and that you don't, uh, you're not averaging like 10 yards per pass attempt and run the ball like you do with the Cowboys, unless you have a signal caller that's really dictating things pre-snap. And Zeke Elliott, like, he's not as explosive of Pollard, but he runs between the tackles. He's super patient, but he's also powerful. He's hard to bring down. So, like, all those yards where, like, Tony Pollard could rip off five yards after contact, Zeke Elliott is very consistently doing for, like, two yards after contact. And then occasionally he'll run off a big one, get in the goal line. So I think that we're back to Zeke Elliott being a top five running back Maybe you chop off 10% of his initial projection because Pollard is involved. But this offense is so damn good. Like This Panthers defense is pretty pretty loaded at all three levels, and the Cowboys just absolutely smoked him here. So, yeah, I think that it's time to get Zeke Elliott back into like the top five. A lot of five-yard runs plus here from Ezekiel Elliott. Again, I think we still have this mentality with him of, well, why was his 2020 season so bad? We had to forget all that. He was out of shape. He wasn't focused. Now he is, and he is the clear top back, and he unlocks a lot of what they do, especially in the passing game. I do want to bring up that passing game, though, because you know a lot of times when you see 64 points scored between two teams, um, you think, well, the passing games are going to go off. Um, the Cowboys, it didn't. I mean, Amari Cooper, yes, 69 yards and a touchdown. He did burn new Panthers, uh, C.J. Henderson on a long 35-yarder along the right sideline after leaving with a hamstring injury and coming back in, miraculously saved your fancy teams. But like CeeDee Lamb only had, you know, five targets, two receptions, and 13 yards. It just, a lot of the pieces aren't going to hit home when there's just 22 attempts out there. Yep. I think we just have to swallow that and move forward with it. Yep, and it still looks like there was a lot of 12 personnel based off the box score. And yep. Dalton Schultz, they're running the same amount of routes, Blake Jarwin and Dalton Schultz. But for whatever reason, Dalton Schultz is the one that's getting all of the production. So much of it was screens like the right. Panthers do it a really, really good job of blitzing, sending extra people. And then Kellen Moore did an awesome job timing when the screens were going to happen. So with so many people moving forward, then Dalton Schultz kind of has like a barrier in front of him to pick up yards. There was one series where he basically fumbled three times and none accounted for in the box score. Uh, like one was stop momentum for progress. Another he was down. Another was near the goal line. He was short on a two-point play, so on and so forth. Uh, quickly, do you want to bring up Kellen Moore? Because this game got oddly close towards the end, and he ran this awesome conversion on third and one to, to end it, to silence it. And it was Ezekiel and Tony Pollard both in the backfield. Zeke offset as like the fullback just to the left of Dak Prescott. Kind of ran a sweep with him across, 
And then what that allowed him to do was pitch it to Tony Pollard to pick up an extra two or three. You knew Kellen Moore was saving that for his back pocket when he needed to ice a game at the end. And he absolutely brought that one out. Uh, do you want to talk about the Panthers offense too? Uh, first, before we get into the receiving game, let's talk about the running game because a lot of people wanted to know how things were going to fall out without Christian McCaffrey. Uh, well, Chuba Hubbard, 13 carries, 57 yards, just two catches for 14 yards. No other back really got involved on the ground. They almost had to abandon that at times from the running back position. But then you did have Rodney Smith uh, come in with five targets, five receptions, and 48 yards. So he was kind of the garbage time receiving back in a lot of situations. Yeah, it seems like Chuba Hubbard wasn't quite Mike Davis from last year. Just I think that's kind of just like a body size issue where I'm not sure if they wanted to give him 20 opportunities today but yeah he he got pretty unlucky as well like sam now getting two goal line touchdowns again which is they were goal line touches they were not goal line touches. you're like what inside the 10 though one was outside the 10 yard line another one on was then? an option inside they have what's I, I randomly looked up his rushing production while in college while in high school he had 13 rushing touchdowns and over 750 yards as a senior at saint augustine i believe it was in somewhere in california maybe yeah, southern california there you go uh, this is a legit threat. Like one of them was a, I think it was a called quarterback draw where he just saw the entire middle of the field wide open and boom, he ran it in. And the other one was a speed option where he kept it and just sliced through the cracks. So he's leading the NFL in pure rushing touchdowns five. It's unbelievable. What's, and it's not going to be sustainable, but it's so funny that years and years and years, Cam Newton was obviously such a force doing that. And now Sam Darnold's doing a very different way, but yeah, a lot of the rushing touchdown pr- production is going through him. Uh, what was the split with, with Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore? Obviously DJ Moore's box score was insane, but at least Rod- Robbie Anderson got 11 targets. So you know this from the Sunday show that we do with start and sets. A lot of people get nervous of Trevon Diggs, yeah. uh, you know, shadowing DJ Moore. One, never, never be concerned about an isolated cornerback on DJ. He's good enough for, for us not to consider him in, in, you know, scaling down those matchups. He's tremendous. Um, now, Diggs wasn't on him at all times. And in fact, Diggs kind of set out with 14 points left on this. Uh, DJ Moore is just unbelievable. In fact, Hayden, he should have had three touchdowns. He only had two in this game to go along with eight receptions and 113 yards because he got pushed out the one-yard line, I think, on the sprint option play that Sam Darnold scored. Um, yeah, look, th- this team needed to get better in the red zone. And I think a lot of it now is... Let's get DJ Moore in terms of body positioning and allow him to, to you know, just be the better athlete than the person he's lining up against. He was also incredible after the catch. Like there was a play where one or two or three inches, his knee almost touched the ground and he twirled and spun along and went for more yards. He's the clear number one. And I know you asked about Robbie. Just didn't seem like he was involved in the main game plan. Now, we finally got to see the Panthers behind and work on the scoreboard. And yes, it might say 11 targets to Robbie Anderson. Some screens to him, not really any deep shots. Some things over the middle of the field. But the usage compared to last year in terms of working him in the slot, it's not really there. I'd love to see some slot vertical routes from DJ Moore. Excuse me, from Robbie Anderson this season. Is the Terrace Marshall dream probably over? Like, he's out there, but it's just not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I even in a game where Sam Darnold throws, you know, 39 times, which like isn't a ton, but like, Hey, I want to bring up, I want to bring up his passing chart because there's just nothing being attacked like deep down the middle of the field right now. And 
that that can be a bit concerning because look, it's it's all these short things. I think the issue with Robbie not getting involved is the offensive line is really letting down the Panthers yeah. at this moment. And Sam still gets in the mindset of those moments where he goes a bit chaotic and goes a bit haywire. Now, the issue is that with Sam, we've, we've highlighted it even in wins where like against the Jets, he had that turnover in the red zone. Against the Saints, he had like that attempted push pass that got intercepted by the defensive lineman. When you try to keep up with Dak Prescott, we talked about this in the preview show, you're not going to match that with Sam Darnold. And now, Hayden, with these vertical shots, they're also not going to be there when you have to take, you know, five, seven extra time for him to get down the field. Yeah. So uh, I, that is concerning because I don't think that offensive line is going to greatly improve as we go along this season. Yep. We knew that was going to be the case before the season. Their defense is better than we thought. Sam Darnold's playing better than we thought. So the Panthers are better. But right. that offensive line is just not good enough. Right. Now – Credit to the Panthers. They're still like losing to the Cowboys is no big yeah. issue. Like that, that that's totally fine. And coming up, it's the Eagles, the Vikings, the Giants, and the Falcons in the next four games. So you should still have a winning record after that. Why don't we go to one of your games, Hayden? Which one do you want to talk about next? I mean, let's go freaking Cordero Patterson time. It's uh Washington versus <laughs> Atlanta. This was an absolutely wild game. The Falcons ended up blowing this. There was two crazy plays in the fourth quarter where Taylor Heineke was running around scrambling for his life just about to get sacked. It kind of has like that Jameis Winston element where he just sails it. And to be honest, this play should have been intercepted, but the Falcons cornerbacks didn't know where the ball was for a Terry McLaurin touchdown. Then the next drive, Taylor Heineke's bailing out of the pocket, throws the ball right to J.D. McKissick, who was playing a lot of snaps because Antonio Gibson kind of in and out of the lineup. And McKissick goes for a touchdown. And that's basically sealed the deal. So the Falcons were playing with the lead for a lot of this. Um, but ultimately, the defense just does not have the bodies out there to make enough plays. So the, the Falcons offense looked a little bit better. Matt Ryan took more deep shots. But just the reality of the situation, the offensive line is not good enough. The depth at the wide receiver spot is not good enough. And the defense in general is not good enough. So the Falcons are going to be a bad team. At least we saw their offense at least try to stretch the field at the very least. Yeah. Look, we've kind of assumed that they might be a bad team, but we always expected them to have an offense that could put up pieces for us to use every single week. Now, a lot of that conversation never during the offseason revolved around Cordero Patterson, who somehow today 82 reception, or 82 receiving yards and three touchdowns on just six targets, and then also was a leader in rushing yards with 34. Did you see any semblance of of something we can latch on to where like Matt Ryan, who throws for four touchdowns today, moving forward that like this could be repeatable, like 30 points can happen again here. Well, I mean, let's start with Cordero Patterson. He played 38% of the snaps, only 17 snaps. <laughs> I mean, what the hell is going on? He, and he did this in multiple ways. Uh, the first one was a, a blown coverage by Washington. We have to talk about them for a second. Jack Del Rio has his team playing way too much off coverage. And there is just miss. Uh, miscommunications all over the field. Cordero Patterson beat this cover three uh, and the, the free safety just bit and he was basically wide open for a long touchdown. He, on another one though, he was just one-on-one -on -one in isolation, beats the guy at the line of scrimmage and then mosses him for a touchdown. So like, he looks like the best player in the entire game. Cordero Patterson was the best player in the entire game. And it was anybody could have seen that uh, after watching this. So I don't know what their plan is with them because he's still not playing that much running back. They get him a couple carries to give Mike Davis a breather, but a lot of this production is not coming from the backfield. He just making a bunch of insane plays. And I want to give Arthur Smith a little bit of credit because a lot of this stuff 
is making him a focal point of the offense. And Olamide Zacchaeus and these guys just aren't doing enough. So I do think that they're going to scheme him up a couple plays a game. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Fool me through four weeks, Hayden. And what we get is that Cordero Patterson is like the best playmaker in the NFL in terms yeah. of how often he gets on the field. Like this long touchdown that you see from the slot, it was broken coverage. He split yep. the safeties, just got down the field. It was one of the worst passes I've seen all season long yeah, from a it quarterback. Was. It was a rainbow, yet it's score. It's a touchdown. And Hayden, I think we've had this conversation with CPAT every single week. We've had multiple clips on the site, on, on the YouTube channel about it. But at some point, like the creativity gene that Arthur Smith has shown during his past with the Titans in terms of being consistent in the red zone and like being a good play caller without maybe not the best pieces, it is being executed at its highest level right now with Cordero Patterson on the Falcons, like the most consistently, despite him not being an every down player. In some ways, this is even the more elevated version of Rondell Moore. And it's time for us to like, start talking about him and even a brighter light than we are like, and we have been these last four weeks, even though I think you and I have nailed his role. Like this team just isn't good along the offensive line. They're soft in a lot of ways, but they can be quick. They can be explosive. They can be fast and they can just like make these magic moments where they don't have to, you know, necessarily have that in the playbook and Cordero Patterson have, has all those things at his age 30 season. He's like, the, he's going to break my fantasy usage model. Like, it's just like already burning it alive. Uh, real quick, Calvin Ridley, 13 targets. A lot of those were downfield where the ball was just barely, like he was dropping a couple. There's a lot of tight coverage throws. And he's just not making like those like alpha plays right now. And I, I think Calvin Ridley has that in him, but he's just barely missing out. So he's going to be probably another positive regression candidate. And then Kyle Pitts, the same thing. Nine targets for only 50 yards. He had a couple drops. There was another one, like you mentioned, where he's jumping and he's not getting his feet in. So, yeah. like, it, these are like kind of like the rookie mistakes. He's earning targets. That's good. When he catches the ball, like on a slant and he goes upfield, he looks like a freak. But, like, a lot of these, like, little details, he's still ironing out. I think ultimately, like, post by rookie bump, Kyle Pitts could be really special, but he's he still needs to work out a little bit of these um, minor details. Hang with me on this analogy, but. When you watch the Premier League and you follow a club in the Premier League, a lot of times when they bring a player from like Spain or Brazil or France, they're coming from like a lesser league that plays a bit more open and, and softer. It takes them an entire season to get used to like the physical nature of it and like to stay up on tackles or to go through contact and not look for fouls or penalties. Um, I think that's what happens a lot of times with rookies. And I think that happens a lot of times, especially at the tight end position. And especially a, a type like him who is used to just being athletically dominant over and over and over against, against corners, against linebackers, against safeties. And so it might take, like you're saying, at least until his bye during his rookie season, it might even take until his second year. And we see that a lot. We just thought that maybe Cal Pitts was going to be different. But uh, he, he still has not. like top five he's, usage and he still right. looks like he has that top five flashes. So he's just putting it together. And I'm not going to bet against him in the second half of the season, but I, I get what you're saying. Right. But like how many weeks do we have to say that? Cause like, look, I mean, this week it was four receptions, nine targets, 50 yards, two receptions, three targets, 35 yards, five receptions on six targets, 73 yards. Like I, I, I that get sounds like saying. a tight end nine to me in this landscape. I know, but, but we drafted him at like 50th overall, you know? Yeah. We can, we can be patient. He's better than George Killer right now. Uh, and again, Mike Davis, 15 touches, 
29 yards and a score. If this no offensive chance. line, no chance. The, the no offensive chance. line just uh, in the current situation, no chance. What about in Washington? I mean, Taylor Heineke, we talk about all the time, Hayden, that he has one of the worst arms in the NFL right now. And that especially shows up outside the numbers. But when you go against a bad defense like the Falcons, who allows him to like climb the pocket or escape it or like move around, he's still a gamer. He still has like this mentality, this confidence that he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And that allows you to create some plays. And for Terry McLaurin, it was 13 targets. And I'm sure a lot of those were off target. Six receptions, 123 yards and two scores. Terry McLaurin should have had four touchdowns, about 280 yards. I mean, he got missed a couple times downfield early in the game. He's just still such a baller that it didn't matter. And he ended up backdooring into a bunch of production uh, and he's earning targets. And there was basically Curtis Samuel was used hit and miss. I, I don't know exact uh, snap counts, but it seemed like he was coming in situationally. And whenever he did come in, ridiculous chart. it was ridiculous. And some of these throws, he was wide open. He just got point blank missed. So like this, that's like where the, te- the, the Heineke stuff came in. He got, a lot of lucky production here late in the game. A lot of it was just like praying it up to Terry McLaurin, who's just making a bunch of plays. Oh my gosh, this is ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, he's running vertical routes. He's trying to outrun everyone. I can't wait to go back and watch this game. A couple more notes here, Hayden. It sounded like Antonio Gibson, who was hobbled heading into this game, was hobbled leaving it as well, was able to get a touchdown in 63 yards on the ground before leaving though. He, he came back in at the very end, but definitely something to monitor. Logan Thomas left hamstring, yeah. did not return. Seemed like he knew that his day was over immediately. So it's probably or easily could be a multi-week injury. So they need Curtis Samuel back. And Curtis Samuel has def- definitely probably played like, I don't know, like 20% of the, the routes best based off of my eye. And they got him the ball enough times to like make sure that he was healthy. But they're going to need him if Logan Thomas is not going to be out there next week. And Jaden McKissick, tried and true. Gets that what thirty yard touchdown at the end to uh, nuts to win play. It for him. Nuts. You play. like jump from like the five yard line in. It's crazy. I, I know that people hate on JD McKissick, but man, I love role players like that, and he's just a great role player. Yep. He's he's absolutely one of the best. Let's talk about um, Justin Fields' second start. We heard this. I think it was on Friday or Saturday that he was going to get the start after Crazy Man Matt Nagy was not going to reveal who was going to be the starter. Hayden, it was so much better then that week one dynamic that the offensive line let him down, that he let himself down, the play calling absolutely let him down. 11 of 17, only 17 attempts. But Hayden, think about that. 11 completions for 209 yards. And sure, it was just an interception, zero touchdowns, just nine rushing yards. But we talked about it in week one where Allen Robinson had no targets beyond 10 yards. And we talked about it in week three. Again, no targets, I think, beyond 10 yards. Immediately, you saw the difference here where Justin Fields was targeting Darnell Mooney a lot and often, and so much of it was over the middle of the field, intermediate areas, and also down the field. And it just brought some juice to this Bears offense immediately. Yeah, that's the thing is he has all the arm talent. He just needs to know when somebody's open and to get them the ball early. And that's what we didn't see last week. I haven't watched this game at all. But the fact that I saw a couple of throws that were way downfield, and it seems like just – it seems like something that you can learn pretty quick. Like you don't know what NFL open is until you watched yourself in that game environment for just one or two times. And then you finally get it. So um, Justin Fields, I, I think that he earned probably another start here. And I, I don't see why the bears wouldn't want to go back to him. Damn. That's a lot of downfield thrown right there. Oh, and they were beautiful. Some of those ones outside the numbers on the right side of the field were pinpoint placement again, directly to Darnell Mooney. And I, what you're saying is, is spot on because 
The game slowed down for him a little bit more. It helps when you're not trying to look over your shore for Miles Garrett coming at you every single player, Jadavion Clowney. Um, but one, the Bears offensive line just isn't going to be good for the entire year. Like that's sure. part of it. And so I think we will get, and there was one time where he did use his rushing ability to get outside and break, contain, and convert on on a third down play. Um, I'm trying to think of it was a third and four. Yeah, he got he got to the right side. But yeah, 64 yards, like straight around the end to Darno Mooney in the second quarter, I believe it was. Again, he wasn't necessarily needing to be used in every single uh, series in terms of downfield plays, but I'm excited to see what Justin Fields puts out there, like the first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter, when they absolutely need him to make plays. Now, that's no certainty, Hayden. Like, what would you put the odds? I know you haven't watched this game, but what would you put the odds on, like, Matt Nagy just reverting back to Andy Dalton after this? I mean, it's got to be kind of like you get a win like that. It seemed like it was pretty encouraging. I, I would guess that field starts, but I have no idea. Ask because uh, while and I'm not going to let this go for Matt Nagy. I, I mean, I have to keep bringing it up here. Um, he's someone who gave up the play calling here, Hayden, but said that while Bill Lazor did call the plays, everything still ultimately runs through Matt Nagy. So like if it failed, wasn't on me. If it's successful, still goes through me. Like, come on, dude. Yeah. What you doing here? Uh, I don't know how much we need to talk about the Lions because... Well, before we get there, can we talk about David Montgomery? Yes, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so Ian Rappaport said that uh, David Montgomery's going to have an, an MRI on, on his knee. The initial belief based on early tests that he hyperextended and did not lead to a major injury. It seems like this can be an MCL or meniscus injury. But the good news is it doesn't seem like it's going to be a season ender. Um, so we'll be following that. I think Damian Williams also got banged up a little bit. I don't even know who their third running back is right now. Um, but Damian Williams would be a must pick up if, if Dave Montgomery's out a couple weeks. Yeah. Third running back is Khalil Herbert. But yes, Damian Williams has run as his backup over and over and over again. And Dave Montgomery was running great. 23 carries, 106 yards, two touchdowns. Um, so yes, Damian Williams, 55 yards and a score himself. Um, yeah, and just, again, he was off a little bit, Justin Fields, early on. I'm finally getting to my notes here. Some high passes, but just trying those plays and his wide receivers having a chance to convert them, they absolutely did that. And yeah, that 64-yard Darnell Mooney was in his own end zone, just letting it go, just letting it go. Quickly on the Lions, again, 0-4, two touchdowns from Jared Goff, uh, but also three fumbles, two were lost. Um, I guess one of the fumbles didn't count or was kind of as a fumble and not an interception. You've heard of the butt fumble, Hayden. Uh, this was the dick pick because it, it was bounced off of his crotch, bounced up in the air, and then the defensive lineman grabbed it. Like the Lions, there were points in this game where it could have been this close, but also we slightly hate Dan Campbell based on what he said this week of, hey, we're going to feed DeAndre Swift. And then DeAndre Swift gets 12 total touches in this game. Yep, and through the first quarter, Jamal Williams had six carries. DeAndre Swift had one. So this was like right out of the gate. It was the same usage, except uh, it didn't seem like DeAndre Swift got quite as involved as a pass catcher um, late. So very frustrating. DeAndre Swift still an upside RB2 at the very least, just because he will get five, six, seven, eight targets every single week. But like bell cow DeAndre Swift, it seems like not going to happen yet. How about we just go in a run of some of these rookie quarterbacks here? I think this is a good time to do that. Uh, let's go with Zach Wilson's first win of the season. The Jets beat the Titans 27 to 24. 
Zach Wilson, 21 of 34, 297, two touchdowns and one interception. And most importantly, Hayden gets his underdog pick of the week correct here. It was a slow start here. Hayden, I don't know, I don't know how much you've got to watch of this game. Nine points to seven points at halftime with the Titans leading, but a big fourth quarter led truly by Zach Wilson, who's kind of getting beat up early on, wasn't completely on target. There was really no rhythm or flow of the offense. But then we finally got to see what we expected and hoped for on this team, where it was play action fakes to the left, roll out to the right, get him out of the pocket, let him extend it just for a little bit. And then we saw that arm, quote unquote, talent that people talk about all the time. And it was sideline throws. It was end zone throws to Corey Davis. And that's how this team is going to have to win right now and you could see him gain more and more confidence as more and more of those plays to again Corey Davis and Jameson Crowder were hitting he had a, a throw pike 30 yards downfield right into the bucket right down the sideline to set up um, a fourth quarter run here and then in the in the um, overtime period it was a very methodical drive and I, you could see how one of these picks could be really bad and he just makes a bad decision it seems like this was very encouraging that he did not make that. So he has all the, all the arm talent in the world. He's still going to be plenty of bumps in the road, but he at, we at least know that Corey Davis could still pop for a big game in a soft matchup and that Zach Wilson still has that top five talent that we're looking for. He's always shown that even in those bad starts, he just has to cut out the, the bad stuff. And I think, don't think that the Titans have enough good defensive players to like force him into bad spots. You know, I've talked about this often with the Jets that it's not going to be a good season from start to finish, but there are a couple goals to hit as you go along with a rookie quarterback. And some of them early on were like, oh man, those passes look pretty, even if they are incomplete. And now you're getting it to where, hey, we have a whole second half and overtime period where this looked like a quarterback where we can build around. Now, the next step is to do that for an entire game. And even if they lose, that's okay, but you just need winnable football for an entire stretch of fourth quarter. So like, again, these are just steps to build on. It's not a great team still. Like Corey Davis is easily your best offensive player. It was cool to see Jameson Crowder get back involved. Keelan Cole had some big catches as well, but the running game isn't going to go anywhere. And easily Michael Carter's lead ball carrier now with 13 carries, 38 yards and a score. But see, it's these small wins that hopefully in the long run equal like a winnable franchise. Yep. Yeah, and I think I think they'll eventually get there. It's still going to be plenty of uh, bad starts for him. For the Titans, though, no Julio Jones, no Derrick Henry, and that showed up with Jeremy McNichols being the leading receiver with 74 yards and eight receptions. And as much as we'd love to see Derrick Henry get receiving work, and heck, he got another two receptions and, and 20 yards here today. Um, when you have no wide receivers, it's pretty clear where the football is going to. And 33 carries for Derrick Henry and 157 yards and a score, and you still can't get the W on that. Uh, I think that's telling of where this Titans team is, where Hayden, prior to the Julio Jones trade, I think a, a lot of us were a little bit concerned about their win totals and matching what they had done in previous years. And I think it's because when you look at that roster, there's not a lot of depth to it. There's just not. Nowhere. And yeah, and if Julio and A.J. Brown were going to be healthy for a whole season with Ryan Tano and Derrick Henry, that's an offense we absolutely want to buy into. But when both those alphas are out, it's scary, scary situations here because no one can really make a play, again, other than Derrick Henry and somehow Jeremy McNichols. Yeah, but like going to like the waiver wire for Jeremy, Jeremy McNichols, Darrington Evans is due off of... Uh, injured reserve at any moment too. So like you don't right. even you can't even bake on that. Uh, Nick Westbrook, who led the Titans in routes last week, turned 
eight targets into 29 yards. And Josh Reynolds kind of flirting around in that same ballpark too. So it's, it's basically an offense where you're only starting Derrick Henry and maybe Anthony Ferguson if you're really desperate for a tight end too. But this Titans team without Julio and AJ Brown is just like, quite frankly, like kind of bad. And yeah. that's why they that the Jets were the underdog. It just seemed like this team's just, when you're that top heavy and you don't have your top guys, like good luck. Let's jump to another rookie. Trey Lance came in for the second half in a losing effort against the Seattle Seahawks, 28 to 21. And your boy is four. No, an underdog so far this season. Uh, let's again, continue this narrative with the rookie quarterbacks. Trey Lance comes in. It's seven, seven at halftime. Jimmy Garoppolo has a quote unquote calf injury, which he certainly might. And it felt like immediately Hayden that Kyle Shane had no trust in Trey Lance, like throwing the football down the field. Like I think in the first drive, it was three and out or close to it, or like five of the first six plays were, were all runs. And you could kind of see it as it went along. And yes, Trey Lance, nine of 18, 157 yards and two touchdowns. But the game hasn't slowed down for him. And we, again, just said that with Justin Fields in just a second start it did. And Zach Wilson has in losses along the way. I'm sure we'll say the same thing about Mac Jones and you know Trevor Lawrence in Thursday Night Football. And he's also... Trey Lance throwing everything with like 110 miles an hour and yep. there's no touch on anything. So it'll be interesting to see based on the injury staffs of Jimmy Garoppolo or if Kyle saw enough for Trey Lance to get more work as we move forward. You're just rooting for the 49ers to kind of like not give up on the season, but to say like, all right, we're playing for like next year's Super Bowl run and we want Trey Lance to get as much experience as possible. But it did seem like Jimmy G actually had a calf injury yeah, and I'm not sure if Trey Lance earned another start next week if Jimmy G is healthy. I haven't watched this game, but if they weren't trusting him to throw the ball downfield, I think that'd be um, probably a good enough sign to see that Jimmy G's probably going to play if he's healthy. Now, it was 7-7 seven to seven at halftime, but it wasn't that easy because right after halftime, Seattle gets the ball, they go down and score. And then it, this weird kickoff, that the 49ers fumble and the Seahawks get it again and score immediately. So he basically comes down 14 points on the scoreboard and has no chance from there on out. Um, yeah, I mean, again, Trey Sermon with Eli Mitchell out owned this backfield, 19 carries, 89 yards. But hey, I don't know if we're going to get big plays from, from Trey Sermon. And I think the big play guy on this team, I'm serious. Like a lot of it's just between the tackles and him bouncing off contact and, and that's what he does. And easily the big play, guys Debo Samuel and yes it looks like a 76 yard touchdown it was a throw outside the numbers but it was complete broken coverage but on the day Debo is still the most bankable piece of this offense 156 yards and two scores on, on just eight catches yeah I, I don't I can't it's like the Cooper Cup thing with like apparently Brandon Ayuk's not gonna matter that much and just Debo Samuel's just gonna run laps around them like I yeah, guess I, I, and I think his snap rate dropped even this game too for for Brandon Ayuk I do want to talk about the Seahawks though because while it's a great win in their own division and on the road, 28 points is a lot for this team. They scored, you know, 21 in the second half, and they've been brutal in the second half in recent weeks. They started off so bad. And I was even putting in our Slack channel how, I mean, it was three sacks in like with 12 minutes left in, in the second quarter. The first five drives, Hayden went three and out. What? I mean, that that cannot happen with a team that has Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf, and Tyra Lockett. But then you fast forward to the second half, and you got vintage Russell Wilson. I mean, the 16-yard touchdown run where he runs the left pylon and dives for it. We saw, like, 
dad Russ, get this dad bod. And now he's back and making these ridiculous plays. And then he hit Freddie Swain with a rollout to the right and doing like a, a hokey pokey in the pocket. And just getting these moments from him, it was it was really fun to see against the 49ers pass rush that was owning that offensive line in the first half. But I think it still leaves a whole bunch of questions for the Seahawks as we move forward that have not been answered. Going into this game, the Seahawks neutral pass rate and neutral offensive pace were like kind of below the what we were expecting with the new offensive coordinator. And based off of the 28 rush attempts to 23 pass attempts and just like that low of play volume in general, it seems like it's the same thing. So this yeah. offense is not like designed to put up 40 points. Like Russ Wilson could throw a beautiful deep ball to either DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett to spring a big play. But this is not a like fantasy friendly environment, especially the backfield. I'm looking at Alex Collins gets 10 carries. Chris Carson only gets 13. Was there anything that was going on with that? It was just kind of game flow and they're up big. Yeah. I'm, Chris Carson was the hammer early on. And then Alex Collins, I think got hot. And he had a nice like 14 yard touchdown that he like prodded inside, then ran it outside and was able to slip through, slip through some tackles. Again, just like as these quarterbacks are are kind of getting their their feet underneath them, Shane Waldron's a first time play caller. And I think he's kind of doing that as well. The gimme throws early on, like they can't have five straight three and outs and expect to go and, and make the playoffs this season. One final thought on a quarterback situation on the 49ers. I don't think it's just the injury from the outside looking in that will shape this because Jimmy was bad. I mean, he was bad. Once again, he missed a middle of the field throw sailed that that should have been intercepted. Then two plays later threw it directly to a safety or a linebacker. And, and that was intercepted. He, I understand why Kyle still wants to play him and it's because he executes. It's like you, if you work for like a big media conglomerate Hayden and they, you get like these sponsorships of like, I don't know, Kia and, and Applebee's and, a few others and they're like lots of money. And uh, then you get to like your contract negotiations and they say, Oh, you just executed these sponsorships. You didn't really do anything extra. I think that Jimmy's just an executor, you know, like sure. He can hit screen passes at times. He can hit some open receivers. He can do all that stuff, but he doesn't do anything beyond that. And while Trey, the game is still needing to like, slow down for him considerably. We already saw that he has some of those moments too. So it's just exactly what you want. I, the the perfect combination would be a comfortable Trey Lance, but I don't know if we're going to get that for a long time because the only way you improve Hayden is, is, is reps and failure. And so I'm not sure, sure if Kyle's going to allow Trey to fail outside of this game. Yep. Uh, okay. I know we have to run through a whole bunch of games here. Let's go to Kansas city and Philadelphia 42 to 30. The chiefs win over the Eagles. Patrick Mahomes, five touchdowns, 278 yards. This one felt like Hayden that Mahomes and company never took their pedal off the floor, and it ended with Tyreek Hill breaking the slate. 11 receptions, 186 yards, and three touchdowns. That's why you never trip if Tyreek Hill's not getting his his looks. Like, the guy can do this. Like, there's not that many receivers that can do this, and we don't even bat an eye. Like, this is just classic stuff. Uh, the Eagles, to me, just when you're down that many offensive linemen yeah the fact that they were even able to move the ball on the chiefs like they did today to me is still a concern for the chiefs just like you guys got to figure this out we're talking about jalen hurts with that skill group and only one starting offensive lineman and jalen hurts has over 400 yards i mean 
something's got to give like Patrick Mahomes is going to do this offensively, but if they're going to be like a very, very serious contender, like they got to button some of the stuff up on defense. 14 carries 102 yards for Clyde Edwards. He was this power running. We don't expect that from a guy of size, but it certainly felt like he was just kind of like bumper carring his way to like 17 yard gains over and over again. Yep. And only three targets, but he at least found the end zone on one of them. So I haven't watched this game, but that seems like RB2 usage. He's still attached to the Chiefs and he's still the primary ball, car- ball-, ball carrier. Uh, on Phillies, and you mentioned Jalen Hurts, 48 passing attempts, which you never want to get with Hurts, but he did convert it to th- 387 yards and two scores. One, this was kind of the big Devontae Smith game that I kept alluding to was going to happen. He was torching that Chiefs secondary. He was getting open at the top of his routes. Devontae Smith is magic. It's like, Justin yeah. Jefferson, it's like Stefan Diggs. It's guys who just create separation with different types of movement. And and that's it. And sure, it's just seven receptions for 122 yards, but I think that's a lot in this offense. That's a might oh, yeah. be his, his season high. And quietly, Hayden, you mentioned all the you know offensive line pieces with Lane Johnson and Brandon Brooks and Jordan Mailata and so on and so forth that they're missing. Kenny Gainwell is like quietly becoming a real playmaker for this team. Six catches, 58 yards and 31 yards and a touchdown on the ground. That's why like, you basically like can't play Miles Sanders. He's a two-down back in an offense that's probably below average. And it's just tough. Kenny Ginn was playing all of the passing down snaps, and it's just not going to be good enough for Miles Sanders. The Cleveland Browns beat the Minnesota Vikings 14-7. to I think this game had a total of like around 50, and it only gave us 21 points combined. I've been hesitant forever of crowning Baker Mayfield of, you know, wanting to give him a second contract. That's going to be massive because it has to be in comparison to other quarterbacks drafted around him, drafted after him. And Hey, not to victory lap in this scenario, because there's a lot of times when this offense looks great, but in a win, he's 15 of 33 for 155 yards. And that played Odell Beckham that he threw it three yards behind his left foot when he was streaking down the field that always stands out to me. And like, this is one of the most probably miserable performances Baker's put out there. He was 0 for 7 on passes traveling 20 plus air yards. And he, quite frankly, he ruined my Benji of the week. I want to round up. <laughs> Odell Beckham had two catches for 27 yards. I want to round up and give him the 100 yard <laughs> bonus because he missed him on, I think, like 200 more yards here. There was a, a wheel route. There was a, a deep shot into the end zone. There was a regular end zone fade that went out of bounds. There was that one play that you just alluded to. A lot of these missed pass that you're talking about were to Odell Beckham, who was getting wide open and he was earning targets. And basically this was just kind of classic Browns where they got Nick Chubb going. Kareem Hunt had another good game. The offensive line looked pretty good. Jedrick Wells, uh, Wills left with an ankle injury. So we have to kind of monitor that. Um, but this was a very slow-paced game. Both the Vikings and the Browns are slow-paced offenses. When they're very efficient through the air and they get big plays from the running backs, they can put up 50 points in the game combined. But you run the risk when it's just these two teams, the way that they're coached, that you can get low-scoring games. So it was really just Baker Mayfield throws a couple of those, a couple yards further downfield, and Odell Beckham walks out of here with 180 yards. And then we're not talking about Baker Mayfield. But like you're right, he is – He's not like a top 10 quarterback. He's like the, the 14th best quarterback and the Browns roster is good enough to still be competitive, but he's, he's definitely missing a couple throws here and there. Shout out to Tyler. One of the tweets of the day. <laughs> uh, and I would actually say that Kirk's been balling out as of recent weeks. Now Kirk can be a punching bag here or there every single season, 
But in terms of making difficult downfield throws, intermediate throws, he's been doing that. And I don't know. It, it, it's it's a conversation we can have and save for the summer, Hayden, because it's a long one. And the Browns are going to be awesome. Like, it's a credit to them now that they don't have to win with bad quarterback play. Like, they, 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 they still have areas of dominance in terms of their rushing game. I mean, 184 yards, 169 combined with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. And then you obviously have players who can make some plays in the passing game that we've seen in recent weeks with them as well. But that's going to be a huge and interesting conversation with Baker Mayfield as we get into the offseason. Anything you want to say about the Vikings offense, yes. and namely Dalvin Cook, who returned from injury, only saw nine carries in comparison to Alexander Madison's 10. He tweaked his ankle again. He came back in for the two-minute drive for just a couple plays, but he looked like in, clear, in obvious pain. So I'm not sure that's a setback where he's not going to be able to play next week. But like we saw the week prior, Alexander Madison got in there and played all three downs. So you got to have Alexander Madison um, be prepared that he can be a top 10 back for you at any at any moment. And Dalvin Cook, it's an ankle. It's been a knee. It's been a shoulder before. It's been ribs before. It's been the whole thing for yeah. Dalvin Cook. So something to monitor. The other thing, the Vikings offensive line was playing well. This was the week where it kind of crumbled, where they're they missing some guys. And the Browns basically won this game by doing one thing. They rushed with four. And Miles Garrett was coming in hot. And it was just a game wrecker. And Miles Garrett's basically playing like the defensive player of the year. And he basically won this game because the Kirk Cousins had nowhere to throw the ball to downfield. And Miles Garrett was coming in hot. So um, definitely something to monitor with the Vikings offensive line. But ultimately, Justin Jefferson and Kirk Cousins are making beautiful throws and catches together. And to me, I can't name like three wide receivers better than Justin Jefferson right now. Three straight weeks of touchdowns. Uh, 84 yards, 118 yards, and 65 yards in that span. We'll say in one-score games, I mean, the Vikings are 0-3 this season. They lost by seven to the Browns today, one point to Arizona in week two, and three points in overtime to Cincinnati in uh, in week one. That's going to drive Mike Zimmer insane. Oh, yeah. Absolutely nuts. Okay, where else do we need to hit on before we get out of here? Um, I did not watch... Indianapolis and Miami. I'm Good. fascinated to see what Carson Wentz looked like in a win that felt like it was dominant. I mean, they were up 17 to three at one point here, Hayden, and Jonathan Taylor finally gets going and finally finds the end zone. So in these games that we haven't watched, we're mainly just asking questions of what we do want to see. Go ahead. He missed Michael Pittman in the end zone. Like, can, oh, can Michael Pittman get a break in the end zone? He's getting open. He could have had a, another huge game here. So that was the one thing. What my biggest takeaway um, from the Dolphins side, real quick, Malcolm Brown. Watch this game? No, just I saw a couple stout stats. My, Malcolm Brown played way more than Miles Gaskin. Miles Gaskin basically was um, just completely erased from the backfield. And I mean, if you're the Dolphins owner and you're watching Jacoby Brissett and all of a sudden you're one and three and all these Deshaun Watson rumors, like, I wonder if like this was the game, like enough already. Let's see yeah. what we can do with a Deshaun Watson trade offer. So it's definitely something to monitor with Jake Glazer kind of dropping those pieces again, even on Sunday morning today. It has a real chance to spiral out of control there in, in Miami. Next up, it's Tampa Bay. Then after that, you should have like some winnable games. And if they're not in the Jaguars and the Falcons, that's real trouble. And both those games are at yeah. home to Hayden. So who knows, but they really truly should be 0 4. I mean, a Damien Harris fumble away yeah. from from being 0 and 4. And I guess my question with them is like the explosiveness. Like you draft Jalen Waddle instead of an offensive tackle uh in what the top 6 and he's 3 for 33. 
You know, Mike Kosicki's a real thing, legitimate thing. We need to keep this in mind with Jacoby Brissett, 557 and one. But this this can't even come close to being the offense that you want to be. And as we've alluded to, like Miles Gaskin is dust this season. He's barely even playing now, just two carries. Um, so yeah, there's I don't know how much I want to watch this game, but where I'm just shocked, honestly that the Colts are able to win by 10 points in this. I thought it would be like a one-score game here or there by, by a field goal because I didn't expect the Colts to have this much firepower. Will Fuller also leaves the game early with a hand injury. I don't know how severe that is, but it obviously would be Jalen Waddle and Devontae Parker and two wide receiver sets there. Uh, let's hit on two of those 4 o'clock games, uh, Pittsburgh and Green Bay. Hayden didn't catch much of this, but what I did see was typical Ben Roethlisberger in 2021 that if it was 3rd and 11, sure the sticks – if it was fourth and two, throwing it two yards in the backfield, this offense just seems completely capped by ben, what Ben Roethlisberger is doing right now. Yep. There was uh, one completion of over 10 plus air yards in the first half. That was at Deontay Johnson touchdown where it looked like Jair Alexander thought there was help over the top and like a little cover two zone structure. Great throw and great catch by Deontay there. Outside of that, it was just as bad as it was before. There was also a play. Uh, Deontay Johnson caught it for a first down and then ran backwards and then got tackled behind the line of scrimmage. And then the next play, Deontay Johnson has a false start. Then it goes to fourth and nine. They're down uh, 10 to 27 in the fourth quarter. And the Steelers decide to punt the ball in their own side of the territory. So to me, it's Big Ben. Also, Big Ben had another check down on fourth down that was caught for negative yards. I think he was the only player in NFL history to do that twice in a season and it's already week four. So like everything is falling apart for the Steelers right now. They, this game was not close. And that's why like you didn't see a huge game from like Devonte Adams or Aaron Jones. Yeah. The Packers knew that they had this one in the bag, like very early. Cause the Steelers are just like not threatening anybody downfield right now. 27 to 10 by the end of the third quarter. I think there's actually going to be a lot of debate talk on those platforms this week between the Aaron Rodgers, Mike Tomlin uh, oh, yeah. moment that they shared on the field, uh, at least on the sideline, a little wink and a nod to maybe the future between those two. Yeah, I guess we shouldn't read into splitting carries between A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones. Is that what you're saying, basically? Yeah, A.J. Dillon had a good second half when, when this game was uh, all wrapped up. It's, I mean, with what Deontay Johnson put up, nine receptions, 92 yards, and a score, when Chase Claypool comes back to, it might be impossible to play anyone. Other than Deontay Johnson, I well, it kind of depends. Like to me, it's clearly Juju Smith is losing out, and I mean, Big Ben just kept, kept missing. Juju, Juju was Smith. irate on the side. He was very mad, and I don't blame him. But also, why didn't you resign, man? Like you had opportunities to go play. You could have been the number two for the Chiefs right now, or the Ravens. Like both teams apparently offered him. Both teams apparently that did. freaking USC decision making. What's going on? <laughs> Let's jump on over to to that Ravens game. Twenty three to seven, they beat the Denver Broncos. Uh, everything you'd ever hope for from Lamar Jackson you saw in this game. And look, Vic Fangio's defense, it's amazing, especially when you consider the offensive line that the Ravens were forced to put out on the field. Hayden, an offensive line that you know they invested in this offseason. But at one point, it was Andre Smith at left tackle, Ben Cleveland at left guard, then Bradley Bozeman, Kevin Zeitler, and some guy named Patrick McCarry, who I've never heard of. At the he right played tackle. center. He played center. He does not play right tackle. Well, he did in this game. And, yeah. and this is what it was. And what Lamar did was 22 of 37, 316, one score, and added another 28 yards 
on the ground. And really, it his most impressive plays came as a thrower. There was this one where he stood in the pocket, lofted it over the linebackers and in front of the safeties with, again, perfect touch to Mark Andrews to finish with 67 yards today. Then you've seen other periods where he's rolling out and creating space, running it or throwing it down the field. And then when we talk about these two high safeties, again, a lot of these Fangio principles, what they did was put Marquise Brown in the slot. He split them. They could not keep up with his vertical speed, which we should see more vertical shots from the slot. And he hit him on a perfectly thrown 49-yard touchdown that, yes, Marquise Brown laid out for. Hayden, again, what Lamar is doing with all these injuries around him, shocking, admirable, and I love that we're getting it through four weeks. Absolute baller. He's getting a little help probably next week. Rashad Bateman's probably going to play, and that's going to muddy up the target shares for all these guys. So that's something to be monitoring if you have Marquise Brown. Other big note for Baltimore, Tyson Williams, healthy and active. They got Le'Veon Bell in the game. Latavius Murray didn't seem like he did too much on the ground. 18 carries, only 59 yards and a touchdown. He, that's just kind of like what he's going to be. You know, he's I, reliable, but like not explosive, right? I think they just don't want anyone to make any mistakes. And they just go with the name brand players of Latavius and Le'Veon Bell and Devontae Freeman just to not make mistakes. And while you and I might think that Tyson Williams looks the best with the ball in his hands, they just, again, don't want people to fumble and let Lamar, yeah. you know, create magic. Well, yeah, I think that's a credit to how comfortable they feel with Lamar Jackson, the passer, and just like Lamar Jackson, the scrambler in his own right. Like the fact that they're, they don't need that explosiveness from the ground game because Lamar's this good as a passer right now is a credit for like Lamar overcoming all these obstacles. And I can't wait for Rashad Bateman. I think that some of those inconsistencies that we've always seen with Lamar, I'm hoping that Rashad is like that glue that kind of puts together everybody in the right spots. While this offense is great now, it's getting closer to what they wanted it to be minus the injuries, but with obviously their first round wide receiver on the Broncos and quickly Teddy Bridgewater left at halftime with a concussion or concussion like symptoms. Drew Locke came in and looked absolutely abysmal. Couldn't hit anyone down the field. There was no consistency there. And Teddy was getting sacked over and over and over, or at least getting hit over and over and over again. Um, so again, that capped the ceilings of the likes of Noah Fant, who had 46 yards and a score Cortland Sutton, just 47 yards and we're seeing, and even though Melvin Gordon came in with a bit of a limp, he was a bit hurt in this game. He did have more carries than Javante Williams, nine to seven. And they're basically Spider-Man pointing at each other, 56 yards and 48 yards on the ground for the both of them. Javante Williams had a hell of a run. I'm not sure you saw this highlight, but yeah, you can see not. it with Javante Williams, but Melvin Gordon still playing well in his own right. So every single time you watch that Javante Williams highlight, remind yourself that Melvin Gordon's also playing really well too. So it's going to be hard for this offense if, if it like the Teddy Bridgewater play action deep shot Teddy to perfect throw throws Teddy, that was like the peak of the offense. Like they yep. need him out there because it can't be Drew Locke, and they need to play like in neutral and positive game scripts because you don't want Teddy Bridgewater trying to be like a playmaker or something like that. Yeah, even and I think we had the small sample was where he was making plays and they were winning partially because of it. But again, this is kind of an offense going in the opposite direction where you have the Judy injury, you have the Hamler injury. And I think what you're alluding to, and it's a great point with Melvin Gordon, we've talked about with role players like Naeem Hines. We've talked about with role players like Jaden McKissick. I'm not even saying Melvin Gordon is a role player because in a lot of times he's going to be the starter, but he exists in a backfield like Javante Williams. And I don't think it's going to go anywhere because they're both being successful. Like I don't think one yeah. immediately just goes and gets 70, 80% of the workload. Okay. Yeah. A couple more games. Go ahead. I was just saying, he's like, kind of like Rondale Moore, where like AJ Green's playing well too. Like you see the explosiveness right. with Rondale and Javante, but 
the, the current starter is also playing really well too. Two more games to ask questions about. Giants get the first one of the season, 27 to 21. Again, even in a loss, Hayden, Jameis Winston attempts just 23 passes. This is a trend. 21 last week, 22 the week before that, 20 in week one. Again, two and two, the Saints are at this time. It makes you wonder if Sean Payton is comfortable with this offense. He's clearly not. But if he feels like he has to do this, because if he asks Jameis to do anything more, yes, you're going to get true high variance plays, some great ones, but also some abysmal decisions, because we've even seen those in moments where he's attempted no more than 23 passes in a single game. The highest target player, eight of them, Deontay Harris, the only person to have more than three. And Deontay Harris, like, let's, he's a special teamer, you know, like, that's just what he's a role player, gadget player, leading the team in targets. Also want to figure out why Alvin Kamara got no targets in this game. He did have 26 carries. This, They are a pseudo New England Patriots in a lot of ways of what they wanted to be. A good offensive line, a great defense, and the defense is getting better. Um, I felt in the last few weeks, maybe not maybe not today. We'll say, I mean, that Marquez Callaway broken play of 58 yards ruined my day for Pickham. Absolutely ruined it. Um, and on the Giants' end, Hayden, as what we said last week, Saquon Barkley is completely back. Back. I mean, Saquon with a 54-yard touchdown in the air and also 52 yards on the ground and another score, that explosion, that big play skills. I'm just so glad that we're seeing it in 2021 because we missed it the last couple of years. Yeah, it's so exciting. And like the snap counts was just where it was the previous week too. So fully back top six, top seven, top eight, depending on the, the matchup. And look at that. We saw a 17th round A.J. Green go off today. 18th round Kadarius Tony, six receptions and 78 yards. Made a nice little move in the middle of the field early on. Okay. Is that it? Is Oh, no. Sorry. I forgot this one. <laughs> Buffalo Bills, 40. Houston Texans, nothing. I mean, 87 passing yards for Davis Mills. There's nothing left to say about the Texans. It was miserable weather. But Hayden, on the Bills and finally Stefan Diggs, Goes off. Emmanuel Sanders gets five for 74. Cole Beasley just two for 16. Dawson Knox is continuing to be an athlete who is learning the position at tight end. So if you're incredibly needy, we've seen CJ Uzoma go off. We've seen Tyler Conklin have good games. Dawson Knox might be another name to add to that list of receivers, no, or excuse me, tight ends no one drafted, but might be relevant the rest of the way. I have no idea what happened. I thought Colby was going to have a huge game here. Um, so I'm not sure if they're using Dawson Knox in a d- different way than we're used to. Maybe it's uh, more 11 personnel and less 10 personnel this year. So I'm going to uh, take some notes for, for next Tuesday. All right. Speaking of, we'll be back this Tuesday for my favorite show of the week. It's when we merge film, we merge data, we merge all the stuff, all the information that you need to give you the actionable takeaways as we bridge then week four to week five. Everyone that's here, thank you. Really appreciate it. You can take us on the go with you. Just search the Underdog Football Show on every single platform and like and subscribe. 81% of you that are checking out this video are not subscribed to this channel. Change that right now. Let's have some fun together. Let's get smarter. All right, Hayden. Let's get out of here. Let's go watch Tom Brady against the New England Patriots. That's Hayden Winks. I am Josh Norris for Connor, for Wallace, for FF Trainer, for Mr. No Name. Thank you for being here. Up the villa. Talk to you all soon. See ya.